Hello and welcome to another episode of Castings the Fire Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Bill. And we are back to House of the Dragon. Uh, this is episode three, second of his name, um, which is a meaningful title, as you'll Maybe see. He's the second born, right? Well, not precisely. Not exactly the second born. The second of his name. Okay, so the second officially recognized. Is that it? Um, yeah, something like that. Now, this will contain spoilers for... throughout the episode. So if you want to avoid spoilers, turn back now and watch the show and come back to the podcast later. So, we begin on the Stepstones, so the the islands in the Narrow Sea, with the major you know, shipping lane, as we discussed... And the crab feeders' men are carrying off various goods, and ships are burning. And the crab feeder is nailing a guy to a post to feed to the crabs. And this guy is cursing out the crab feeder and saying that uh, House Valerion is going to come for him. And the guy is wearing a Valerion sigil on his on his tunic, but I don't think he actually is a Valerian himself. This guy doesn't talk at all, does he? Because I don't recall him talking ever. He's just... The crab feeder or the victim of the crab feeder? No, the crab feeder. Yeah, he never talks. And also, didn't you say... I'm not sure if he even can. But you said he had a very advanced case of, uh, the... What was it? The grayscale. The grayscale. And... Yeah, if you get that in your mouth, you might be mute. No, he never talks, but he's there. He's there. And as this is happening, and he's uh, releasing crabs onto the guy to eat him. And by the way, okay, crabs will eat any kind of meat. I do find it a little tough to buy that they're just devouring somebody before they're even... In the book, when he did this kind of thing, they were already dead. Okay, well... When the crabs... I could totally them. see a crab going for a live person who's just paralyzed. Well, I... Because they're crabs. I will tell a little funny story. Uh, I was at Biomes Aquarium, which uh, if you're in Rhode Island, I actually highly recommend it. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and they had a little touch tide pool thingy, and I put my hand in there, and a crab kind of pinched me with its pincher. Oh, how cute. And then it maneuvered my finger into its mouth and bit down. Now, it was a little crab. It didn't truly injure me. It just left a little pinch mark. And it was cute. But, yeah, they will eat anything. Well, while this is happening... Now, granted, here's one thing I will add to this. Uh, Even... He was tied up, and he was pretty tied up. But even then, you can pretty much shrug crabs off. It's not like they're that hard to shrug off. It's just they're going to be persistent. Anyway, go on. Um, You hear... Shouts of dragon in Valyrian. Um, the word is Zaldrises. If I hope I'm not messing up the pronunciation here, but and Daemon arrives flying on Caraxes, and Caraxes is you know, going around breathing fire everywhere and causing havoc. Yeah, and he just shows up and oh, murders the guy, these pirates. The guy is who's being executed is 
being like, help me, and the dragon just steps on him. Well, he's first cheering them on, then he's like, help me, and then the dragon. Yeah, the dragon steps on him, which, you know, kind of figured that's what would happen. And... So, there's quite a bit of carnage going on. Caraxes looks awesome. Just, you know, flying around and breathing fire and... Very smog-like. As you're probably guessing, he's one of my favorite dragons at this point. Yeah, well, hopefully we're going to see more of him and others. Um, but while this is happening, the crab feeder runs off and hides in a cave. And for some reason, they can't just go in there and get him out. Or have the dragon, like, burn into the cave. Crab feeder's hiding. So, we're back to Westeros. And... A couple of years have passed since um, the last episode. Viserys has lost the two messed up fingers on his hand, and it doesn't look like they did a very good job taking them either, because his hand still looks pretty messed no, up. No, they didn't, and I'm sure that that's, well, sure um, that's going to serve a later purpose. And Viserys and Alicent have a little boy named Aegon. Now... They're, the first Targaryen king was Aegon, the Conqueror. Yeah. So, this boy being named Aegon, and you notice the meaningful, the second of his name, uh, suggestive that he might be king someday. And yeah, and that, that of course causes tensions, because there's already a name there, and it is Rhaenyra. And... That is unconventional, because she is, uh... Rhaenyra is a female heir, and... And that is controversial. Never... And one guy was going on about how, you know... Oh, we'll get into that. Yeah, it's against the gods, although Sarah was like, no, it's just a political thing. And... So Aegon is having his second name day celebration, so he's having a massive party that being a two-year-old he's not going to remember. And Alicent is heavily pregnant with her next child. Uh, They're having a giant feast, and the centerpiece of that is a roast pig with two heads, which... I don't think it was actually a two-headed pig. I think the cooks attached it together in some way. Um, And while this is going on, Otto Hightower, the Hand of the King, is discussing the succession with another lord. How... um, Aegon, being a boy child, should be the heir. So, uh, as you can see, Otto is behind the scenes pushing for this. You know, that would mean one of his descendants would be on the throne. 
Yep. And I think this is ultimately more important to Otto than what than this descendant is male, but he's that's what he's pushing for um legally. Yeah, and they were like making these comments just after they made the comments about how he looks kingly or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, he looks kingly. He's like what it flashes forward and he's like what? One, two, two. He's two. He's two. Okay, yeah. A little two-year-old boy. He's almost two. His second name He'd probably like to get, like, a little toy for his <laughs> birthday and... Yeah. Yes. And... Um, this introduces... The Lannister twins. Um, there's Tyland and Jason... Um, Thailand spelled T-Y-L-A-N-D, not like the country. And Thailand is the more serious of the twins. Oh, they're both played by the same actor, too. I... His, I, his name escapes me. Yeah. And I don't remember his name. <laughs> so the more serious twin, Tyland Lannister, is informing the king more on the Stepstone situation. And Viserys puts him off. It's been three years. It can wait another three days. That means he's been putting it off persistently. Which is quite a serious situation to be ignoring. Um, and he's got travel plans for a big hunt for the prince's name day. And yeah, that's, 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 that's an interesting thing. Well, we, we get to that. Oh, yes. The, the name of the actor who plays the Lannister twins is Jefferson Hall. Thailand is continuing to try to urge Viserys to war against the crab feeder and um while Otto is trying to warn him against doing this on the basis that um Daemon is fighting the crab feeder without the king's leave and if it'll Viserys make, joins it make him look weak it'll make both it'll make arguably both of them look weak but most importantly it would make the king because this is uh a war that Damon started without leave. And it would make him look subservient to Damon because, yeah, Damon had not permission, specific not permission to do this, and he did it anyway. And now we get to an interesting scene where Rhaenyra is reading in the God's Wood. So, um, if you're not familiar with this, it's sort of a religious grove of trees that was started by the worshippers of the old gods that take tree form and even though um, most of Westeros no longer worships trees, they ceremonially tend to still have a grove of them in their castle to, that they go to and, you know, reflect or whatever, even if most of them officially worship Faith of the Seven. And she's in the Godswood reading her book well, a bard named Samwell. Oh, yeah. The shady bard whose name happens to be Samwell. Yeah. He's I mean, just shady because he's a bard. He's That's shady because he's that. a bard. He doesn't actually do anything bad, but, no, you know, bard's singing. got the reputation. He's singing to the princess. He's, he's a bard. And, yeah, his name is Samwell, but that's a pretty popular name in Westeros. He's not a Tarly. 
Um, I've actually yet to see any Charlies in this episode. There probably were some in the hunting party or um, some of the ladies staying behind, but I didn't see anybody that jumped out at me as being a Charlie by their outfits or anything. Yeah. Um, the song he is singing is interesting, though. It You never get to hear the entire thing, but it starts off being quite clearly about... Um, Nymeria and her 10,000 ships. Now, they were actually fleeing um, Valyrian conquest and slavery, so it's an interesting choice for the Valyrian descendants to... Um, yeah, she's listening to a song about them. and But also, Nymeria was kind of a feminist figure in their history. She was... Um, a great leader, and even when she finally um, brought her people to Dorne and um, married, uh, she got her name hyphenated with the guy she married and um, set it up so that the heir would be whoever is firstborn, male or female, which is different from the rest of Westeros, but still held in Dorne to this day. Which, you know, with the themes of this show is meaningful. Yeah, very meaningful. But also, the last refrain of the song ends under the dragon's eye. Which is interesting if it's about Nymeria. Is this some kind of a big brother kind of thing? Yeah, I wonder that too. And also, uh, like I said, I wondered if that was sort of a... Well, is that in the book at all? Nope. Okay. And Rhaenyra both is the dragon, so to speak, but she's also, you know, under the the customs and laws of the rulers and her dad, so she is the dragon, but she's also under the dragon's eye. Now, she keeps having this bard sing this song on repeat, but never to the point where we get to hear the whole thing. No. He finishes it once, and then she says, repeat. And then the queen... The queen... Intervenes. The queen, you know, formerly her friend and apparently crush, too. And you can see they've got a rift between them now. Um, She doesn't... Rhaenyra doesn't call her by her name. She's like, my queen. And um, when the queen tells the bard to stop. is like, no, I'm the princess, keep playing. And um, Alicent pulls rank and is like, I'm the queen, um, you take your leave. leave. Yeah. And like I said, I said I can imagine, uh, I can imagine the poor bard being ex. I mean, would Rhaenyra be the type of person to be like, I'm going to execute that bard later? At this me. point, no. Not this point, okay. At this we'll, point, no. We'll consider that a foreshadowing. And Allison tells her that she should get ready to depart because they're going to go to this royal hunt, and Rhaenyra says she doesn't want to go, she wants to stay and read. Um, 
So you can see she doesn't like to be told what to do. And also she later says she doesn't like how the animals, when they're being hunted, like squeal while they're being killed. It sounds like a person. Yeah. That's so right. she doesn't want to be dragged along on her dad and brother's thing. And also doesn't really want to kill an animal. But no, she doesn't have uh, staying out of it as an option. And Allison wants things to be okay with Venera and tells her, like, you, know, you can still have fun with this. It doesn't have to be this way. So on the one hand, she's pulling rank, and on the other, she doesn't want this rift that's happening to be happening. Um, yeah, Viserys actually invites Rhaenyra to participate in the actual hunting. Um, and they're all the, supposed to be together. They're both thinking it as a duty, and Rhaenyra doesn't want to be doing duties. Nope. And she, you know, says, no one's here for me. Yeah, that's... You know, I understand how she feels, why she feels that way. She's, even though she's the heir, she's... And not somebody that anyone really is uh, taking seriously, except for um, I feel like the father is, you know, the king is to. An but extent, even then, which... not as much as if she had been a boy. Yeah, of course. And these preparations for the hunt are massive. They got massive tents for the people who are staying behind, and many lords and ladies are coming for this. Uh, named a hunt and um, actually I believe it was George R.R. who said that uh, King Robert's hunt back in Game of Thrones was really underdone just having the king and four lords go out with spears alone into the woods to go get a pig Yeah. when actual royal hunts were gigantic affairs compared to that as yeah, seen yeah they were They're- they were like super glamping. Like they'd have like tents. They'd have a, a bunch of cooks. They'd have <laughs> servants. They'd have all sorts of things. And the ladies are waiting in their fancy tent and talking about things going on in the realm. And this gets to activities on the stepstones. One of these, including Lady Joanna Swan being taken by Lysine slavers to be sold to a pillow house, as the the rumor went. Now, in the book, I can say um, Joanna Swan was only 15, and her uncle had the opportunity to pay her ransom, but he wouldn't because that's too expensive. And that is what happened to her. And she did work her way up through that system till she was a very high-level courtesan holding a lot of power with the royalty. And she was called the Black Swan, but still what she was subjected to was slavery. In the beginning, at least, and they 
the ladies discussing this, they don't really seem that alarmed or upset by it. And it isn't even like, oh, a peasant that they're looking down on. This is somebody from their region they probably know. Yeah. Just, uh... Now, my first impression was, are they trading this around like juicy gossip? But now I'm thinking, no, well, maybe it was, but maybe they're just being polite and reserved because that's what's expected of them. Even while they're discussing such uh, heavy matters as this. Yeah. Oh, it could be interpreted either way. And... Um... Larry Strong is also staying behind with them because he's got a bad enough limp that he's not going with the guys hunting. And he's actually pretty cool with that. Um... And he's just hanging around and uh, eating cookies and talking with the others. And he's going to be a significant character later on. So this is Larry Strong, um, sometimes called the Clubfoot because of his limp. Um... More discussion about the Stepstones, how no king has ever held the Stepstones for long. And... Yeah, they're like apparently a major thing where the, uh... Where people will hold on to and then they'll get, like, taken by pirates and then it'll be taken by another power. And that just seems to be what happens. And even some talk of how... Um, Rhaenyra had, uh, um, Rhaenyra has asked for insight on this and how, how after all, she's supplanting Daemon as heir, to which Alicent actually says, oh, it's because the princess was more fitted to rule. So, you can see Alicent has, is, hasn't really turned against her yet. No. Um. Well, she is more fit to rule currently, at least. <laughs> Considering that, uh, what Daemon is like, yes. Um, Lady Redwine is there with her cute pug. And this pug has already been pretty debated in the fandom over whether it, uh, even fits in Westeros being a pug. Um, now my first impressions reaction was kind of the same. That's a pug, what's it doing in Westeros? It's not the most realistic dog they could have chosen, but I've changed my mind on this. Um, royalty and rich people and nobles have had you know, little pet lap dogs for a very long time. And uh, that's what the pug is doing. It's being the pampered pet of Lady Redwine. It's not like it popped up in a wildling fishing village or something. Yeah, well, I also, I, as I mentioned in a conversation we had earlier, I mean, Westeros is, while it is certainly fantasy, it also is, um, you know, very much like our world. Like, there's regular animals there all the time, as well as, you know, fantastic ones. And there's no reason to not think that there wouldn't be, like, you know, dogs like bugs there. It's not like, 
you were talking about how you it was in was it in the hot was in the hot in the third. In the third live-action Hobbit, Hobbit yeah. movie, The Battle of Five pug. Armies, they have two pugs just running around Lake Town. So this is and like a... that I find less believable just because I find Middle-Earth more fantasy-like. And, and if there were going to be pugs in Middle-Earth, they'd be more like in um, either like the rich part of Gondor or maybe uh, if Tolkien was ever to develop some version of China, uh, maybe the... Yeah, um, nobility there would have the pug. But he also <laughs> never writes anything like a pug or anything like that, and you don't get the impression that there's that sort of thing. There. You just get hounds, you, you get could, farm dogs. You could totally see that in a George R. R. Martin book, like some lord would have a pug or something. So, anyway, that's just my opinion. Well, um, Lady Redwine is saying how the king should be sending fleets and men to clear out the triarchy for good. Now, I don't know whose fleet she has in mind. House Redwine has one of the best um, warships fleets in the realm. And I don't know whether she's trying to imply that uh, the king should be using her ships, well, her family's ships, or, or what. And she also says that the crown is already at war and the king is just refusing to admit it and Damon dragged them into it. And, you know, Rhaenyra's reaction to this is how do you serve the realm lady, red wine, by eating cake? And a pug right on cue eats cake right off of the plate. The answer is yes. Um... Leaving the tent, you see they got a little uh, barbecue going on outside. Already got some meat on the spits. Uh, yes, royal hunts. Yes, the meat would generally be used, but they are ultimately for sport. Uh, if they were, if they wanted some game for the king's table, they'd send out men to get it. The king would not generally be involved himself. And you also see a couple of peacocks. Not that this is important, but either they're, I assume they're probably imported from Volantis. That seems to be the closest thing George R. R. has written to Indian subcontinent. Yeah. Like geographically speaking. Yeah. Jason Lannister, so Tylan Lannister's twin, is there and he's obviously trying to put the moves on Rhaenyra and talk about how rich his castle is and how he doesn't have a dragon pit, but if he was to have some dragons there, he could build a dragon pit for them with his Lannister gold. And if he was to have a wife... Oh yeah, and that's what I said. He's like the, uh... He, he's like a combination of sort of the, the dumbest traits of Tyrion and uh, Jaime. Like he's, you know, this guy with swagger and riches and he's trying to woo her for power, obviously. And yeah, Sarah was saying I... how you give him points out for uh, the fact that he would, uh, that he would uh, build stables for the dragons and all that. And I said... Uh, a home for her pet. But keep in mind, her pet is the equivalent of 
Yeah, like a jet, like a, a, a stealth bomber. Or like yeah, I would like more military might for my yeah. um, region, and would love to build a stable for your pet stealth bomb. Uh, And uh, Venera doesn't like him. She's mad at her dad for trying to marry her off. Uh, clearly leading her into being here to meet somebody that she's supposed to marry. And oh, he's arrogant and so serious. And uh, Viserys is like, oh yeah, well you'd think you'd have that in common with each other. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of right. Uh, That's true. And they have a public argument about this. Yeah, it's true, they do. I think that is the case that just the concept of, oh, she's going to marry and move off to this other area is not treating her as the heir. If she was seriously being treated as heir, it's more like, no, your husband's gonna come and relocate here. You're the heir, you live here. And that's not... not what's happening. Um, some men bring the news that a white stag has been sighted in the woods and how this is a regal portent for the prince's name day. Um, yeah, she'll add that in was okay. First off, in real life, white stags and deer and all that. There's various beliefs and superstitions in, in history now. We yeah, but it depends. There are people who will totally just kill them. And there I, are people I, who will totally just kill I, them. I, I, I have friends who like they'll outright go out of their way to kill them. They'll be like, it's got them. bad genes, yeah. or take that people who think it's special. No, or they're just saying it's bad as bad genes. <laughs> I've never heard anyone trying to make a thing out of that like that. Well, Westeros definitely has the it's a it's a special royal good portent thing like many fantasy. Right? Is that it? Well, I mean not necessarily, but that's how they are interpreting it and Um We'll get to this once we get further in Game of Thrones, the first book, but uh, Joffrey wants to hunt himself a white stag, and um, Sansa tries to impress him by telling of a dream, like, oh, you found the white stag and you killed it, Joffrey, just to impress him. Just to impress him, of course. (laughs) And she actually is like, oh, it would normally be... um, just like, you know, getting close to him, maybe giving a little pat and letting it go, but it, but Joffrey likes killing, so I'll say he killed it. Uh, yeah. Got impressed, Joffrey. Well, back to the story at hand. Rhaenyra takes off galloping on her horse, and um, the sworn her personal sworn shield, the King's Guard Knight Kristen Cole, gallops off after her to try to stop her. And they both get pretty far into the woods before they stop at a large pond. And, oh my goodness, these woods are gorgeous. I would love to hike there. I assume that they're in Northern Ireland. But I'm not actually sure. Just gorgeous pine trees everywhere. That's 
my kind of place. And um, once they're alone together, she expresses her frustration to Kristen about how she was only named heir to be raised the standing of Lord of Casterly Rock. And Kristen straight up asks her if she wants him to kill Jason, and she laughs. So I, I think they're both joking, but... Yeah. Would he be able to? I'm gonna guess no. Not without a lot of repercussions, and they know it, so... No, I'm gonna guess he wouldn't be able to, like, have the skill to. Uh, he's he... that skilled. He all... The thing is that he's just introduced, and... We he, we don't see any feats from him, and is he even in the book? Is he in the book? Yeah. All right. Is he skilled in the book? Kristen is decently skilled. We don't really know about Jason. Yeah, but we we can assume Jason. I I just sort of would assume he's skilled. And um, she asks. Yeah, you know, the, as you can see, they've got a pretty close friendship too and by friendship I mean if they were not both in the position that they are I could see them being more yeah well he certainly seems to like that that's for sure she asks him if he's ever been betrothed and he says he's too low in standing to be actually betrothed but he pretty strongly implies that he had a lot of girlfriends before in his time before being named Kingsguard, which has, as you may know, similar rules to the Night's Watch, where you're not supposed to marry, you're not supposed to have sex either, you're not supposed to be fathering kids. I mean, some of them go and do that anyway, but they're not supposed to. Of course. We're just kind of a thing I don't really see a straight guy of that age being so happy to lose but well anyway so what happens next alright well what happens next is a boar attacks well before that happens yeah, there's the whole, he could have any common girl he wanted, and she wishes herself for this kind of freedom. And Kristen Cole says that she she does have power, though, in that she named him Kingsguard and gave him the biggest honor that a Cole had ever known. Yeah, that's true. He still seems more cool with losing the whole having a lot of girlfriends thing. <laughs> Yeah, because it's an And uh, back to the hunting scenes with the king. Okay, this is a giant thing. They've got a lot of men there. They've got a lot of dogs. And I'm going to talk about these dogs some more. Um, they've got stag hounds, which are kind of like a, a larger greyhound with like a rough coat. Um, they're from Scotland. And they've got Cane Corsos, which, if you may remember, Ramsay Bolton's hunting dogs. Um, they've got another that's a breed that I don't recognize. 
I actually asked some people who know dogs about it and um, didn't get an agreed-on answer either. Um, got one with an impressive-looking spike collar to protect its neck from dangerous game while hunting. Uh, with a medieval hunt like this, those stag hounds, the sight hounds, they would actually... Um, run down the fast deer and um, stop it or slow it down and then they would release the the bigger dogs the catch dogs to go and run down the animal and hold it or keep it at bay for the hunter to come along and kill it and finally kill it yes now hunting deer this way is gonna be illegal a lot of places now. Not everywhere, though. Um, a lot of states, a lot of places. But yeah, in some places, like wild pigs and boar, sometimes coyote will still be hunted with. Um, the sight hounds are more likely to be used hunting coyote and the catch dogs for pigs. They'll often use pit bulls for this now. Um, pit bulls didn't exist back in medieval times. Um, Catahoula leopard dog. Various breeds do that now. Um, they find some stag droppings, which for series is just like picking up and looking at and uh, there's always some jokes about the in the fandom like oh of course his hand is going bad he's handling poop with it I think that's kind of exaggerated it's it's deer poop I mean it's not as bad as it could be but They find the stag droppings in this talk of how before the dragons came to Westeros, the white stag was a symbol of royalty in their lands. Now, I wouldn't necessarily take that as a good omen, narratively, because, as you know, it's the Baratheons with the stag sigil that end up deposing Targaryens later. So I wouldn't necessarily see this as a good sign for Targaryens. Well, that's what I was thinking, too. I was thinking, well, it's given that that's the... Uh, but nobody knows that then. It. No, but it's... But I still feel like that was put there to reference that. And much like Robert Baratheon, Viserys is drinking heavily while hunting. Yeah. And he thinks uh, the gods have punished him. <laughs> yeah, after He's he gets a hangover. hangover. Um, Jason Lannister gives Viserys a golden lance to be the killing blow to the stag once they get it. And this lance is giant and unwieldy. It is not the ideal weapon to be using for their, that. But he's still trying to get good favor with Viserys to maybe marry his daughter. And He's already assuming to Viserys' face, she's the daughter, you've got a son, she's no longer heir, and Viserys actually doesn't like him, you know, making that presumptuous statement.
Um, and Otto is also there discussing the Rhaenyra marriage prospects with Viserys and he wants her to actually be happy with the match Um, and Otto suggests that he marry her two year old half brother and yeah Viserys is like he's two you know like a sane person would react I mean nobody's caring about the being brother and sister thing, apparently, but... Yeah. Uh, Viserys is sick of politics, and he's also discussing this marriage stuff with Lionel Strong, who is both, you know, he's related to Larry Strong, and he's also the father of Harwin, quote-unquote, Breakbones Strong. And Viserys thinks that if he'd just forbidden her to marry Jason, he she would have done it just to spite him. So kind of reverse uh, psychology there. Yeah. Um, and Lionel has his own idea, and Viserys is like, "What, your son Harwin? Nope." Um. His suggestion is Leonor Valerian, the son of the sea snake, which would be a great match politically, but he's also... How much of a spoiler is this? It's in the book. Go ahead. He's he's her cousin, and also he is... um, He prefers men, so... Well, that, that was the main... That's the major thing. I mean, they're like, oh, it's rumor, but it's made pretty obvious in the book. He prefers men. And while all this is happening, Rhaenyra is still in the woods with Sir Kristen Cole, and it's after dark. And she asks him if he thinks that the realm will ever accept her as queen, and he answers, they don't have any choice not to. That's true. I mean, they do, arguably, but... (laughs) And uh, one of the horse, the horses shy at something in the woods, and Kristen goes off to investigate. And while Kristen is off, a large, not as large as they can get, but pretty large boar just rushes out and knocks Kristen right off his feet and attacks Venera. Flat onto her back. And she is successfully holding the boar back from mauling her while flat on her back and while the boar is very much trying to get at her. Okay. Here's the thing. When I saw that, that didn't look like what happened. It looked like she just stabbed it. Like, in, I guess it was supposed to be the heart or something. You know, I don't... There's no reason for that to be the case. Because then it just goes... It squeals and goes limp. And then she... I mean, that's what it looked like happened. Maybe the video you saw didn't show the whole... Well, it was like less than a minute long. So... So, yeah, it, she is... Yeah, I spoiler, holding I back this I, I, big I, boar. Yeah. I, spoiler, I had went to the bathroom and I'd come back after that. I'm gonna say that's impossible for nearly everybody. 
Yeah, well, uh, uh, honestly, even if she stabbed the boar, right? Like, she, there is no way she's doing that without taking injury from the boar tusks and yeah. the hooves. And, yeah. um, I'm not just saying her, I'm saying most strong warriors would also. She would have been. Maybe the mountain. She would have been gore. And before the boar can, you know, overpower her holding it back, Sir Kristen hits it with a sword swing, which knocks it off of her and incapacitates it, but it's not dead. And after Rhaenyra recovers herself and the boar also starts to stir again, she just stabs it again and again, and a ludicrous amount of blood gets hey, all over her face. all of her frustrations out on the boar. Yeah, they actually, in the after the episode thing, they say she's taking out her anger about everything on the boar. This is... Well, it's clear she was anyway. Now, to be fair, it had just attacked her. This is going to be major adrenaline time. She did say she didn't actually want to kill an animal. So, it's not like she set out to, oh yeah, I'm going to take it all out on some animal in the woods. Uh, She's not Robert. But the amount of, like, blood that gets all over her, it's very over the top. And, well, well, this is going on. Actually, no, why don't you go on about how dangerous Bor are? Oh, how Bor Bore very dangerous, as you said. Like, she like of all the normal non-magical animals in that world, that's one of the ones I would like to, I would least like to have to fend off without modern. Bore are extremely dangerous and are extremely intelligent. Um, uh, Robert Baratheon, you see all these people posting online saying like, "Oh, I didn't know they could get that big." I like, I honestly wonder what these people thought like. Do they think that he just got killed by a little tiny pig? That which, by the way, I've heard stories of people getting killed by pretty fairly small pigs. So I was in Texas, great. and um, I saw a pig that a feral hog, which is very very similar to wild boar. It basically is, but it is descended from escaped domestic as opposed to the original wild. Large, hairy, dangerous tusks. Well, I saw one that had been hit, so it was beside the road, it was dead. And this animal was massive. It is not something I would have liked to, like, encounter too close, alone, out on the grass somewhere. Yeah, they're really big. And I'll probably bring up this story again once we get to talking about, uh... King Robert when we're going over the books again, but... Just Google... I'll tell everyone right now, just Google Hogzilla. (laughs) I mean, that was a thing. I'm sure that plenty of people haven't heard of it uh, now at this point, because it was that long ago. But that was a thing for a while. So while this is happening, Viserys and Alicent are back at the camp... And they're discussing when uh, Rhaenyra was named heir. But also, Viserys has an obsession with a prophecy about a male crowned heir. 
and how his obsession with that prophecy ultimately led to his first wife Emma's death giving birth to the son that only lived a short time and he feels that naming Rhaenyra as heir maybe like makes up for this on some level yeah but he's obviously uncertain he sounds like he's on the edge of tears through the entire conversation Um, the next day, hunters um, run down a brown stag, and they have it tied. And they so they just have it tied up for the king to go and kill. Which, well, it's very unsportsmanlike, but it's not. It's been a thing for you know some important person goes on a hunt and having a. Making sure they brought home something that they can say they hunted, uh, whether or not they really did. I mean, the one of the most famous real life is the tied bear that was offered to President you know, Theodore Roosevelt to say he hunted, and as you know, he, as you probably know, he refused to hunt this tied bear and claim it was you know, his kill. What a lot of people don't know is that the bear still ended up killed rather than released. Yeah, of course. Of course. And this incident inspired the teddy bear. So yes, having a captive animal to hunt was very much a existing thing. Well, the, the the Roosevelt one, yeah, he that was released, as far as I know. Uh, the version I, I the version I heard was he had it quote unquote put down. Oh, well, maybe he did. I don't know. But I he just, didn't claim it as his kill. Well, he didn't kill it. He wouldn't kill it. Literally. He didn't kill it. He had someone else do it. I mean, to be fair, it would have probably died anyway. So. But here, Viserys is totally going to kill this tied deer as his kill and the first time he sticks the deer he sticks it in the wrong place it does not die now I should have said this earlier none of these animals seen on the hunt or hunted were real animals they're all CGI they're not going to use real animals but still you kind of got to say it they have the whole thing, probably. That no animals were harmed. They did have that thing. No, I don't. I'm yeah. I'm kind of thinking. What about that roast pig on the? There's a whole no. Well, there's a whole. <laughs> they did not that. have any on-screen animal death or animal cruelty going on in this. Well, after this first stick with the giant ceremonial unwieldy. Um, Golden Lance does not kill the deer. One of his men actually kind of comes over and points out the right spot on the deer to stick and does it again. And the deer does die with a lot of squealing. Yeah, while this is happening. While this is happening, yes. Tell about what my dog was doing. Oh yeah, Nim, the the dog Nim was, uh, she was growling at the screen the whole time. 
because there was dogs barking, there was the stag uh, making noises, and people were like fumbling around. She was, she was growling. She was focused on the whole thing, and she was like, you know, not happy. She barked a few times, but she was mostly growling, like really low and concentrating. And then when uh, the stag finally dies after a lot of failed attempts like she calms she calms down like okay situation taken yeah, care of she's uh, like all right it's dead now okay that's fine uh that was funny and while all this is going on Rhaenyra and Kristen are still in the woods and they find the white stag and they just kind of look at it and Kristen raises his bow to shoot it but Rhaenyra stops him and it just uh, goes on its way, and you know this could uh, this could be taken various ways. You know, it could be like, oh, she spared the royal animal, so that means she has more uh, right to rule morally. Or she could also be passing up an opportunity to impress the guys by not bringing the stag. I mean, if she had brought it, it'd be like, well, I I got the royal stag. But more likely, they would have said, no, you stole your brother's right to the royal stag. Like, that would have backfired on her, I think. Yeah, it could have. Um, and also, any uh, Shadow and Bone fans, um, compare this with the white stag scene in um, the Shadow and Bone book series, which is similar, but... I'm not going to spoil something this big for unrelated series, but it does pan out in different ways, and the reason why they're hunting it is different. Um, but it it has similarities, which if you've read it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Which I am Rhaenyra returns with the dead boar being dragged by the two horses, and she's covered with blood, and it's in her hair, and you can see they've kind of been artful with it. Yeah, yeah, the makeup people. Um, Alicent and Otto are talking together, and... Otto wants Alicent's son to be the heir, and there's gonna be war otherwise, is what he's saying. Uh, Alicent doesn't actually want to to pose Rhaenyra in favor of her son. She doesn't want to raise her son to depose Rhaenyra, any of that. And Otto's like, no, Rhaenyra's stolen something that belongs to your son, and that this assails the laws of gods and men, which, yeah, you mentioned this earlier, Bill, the assailing the laws of gods and men part. Yeah, that was the thing that, like, you know, kind of got me, like, okay. And there are plenty of people who would view that. I don't see Otto as particularly, like, religious. I think he just wants... His family's piece of the pie. Yeah, he wants power, and I think that makes sense. And he wants... 
Alicent to uh, quote unquote make the series see reason on this because he won't on his own. Meanwhile, he's hungover from drinking that much wine and talking these marriage prospects about with for Rhaenyra with Alicent while he is hungover. And I'm sure feeling terrible. Um, and the conversation actually doesn't go how you're expecting it to go after, after that whole thing. It it comes to the conclusion that Venera is going to have to marry, but she has to believe it's her choice. And right then they get a letter from the Stepstones that Daemon is losing and the the king still doesn't want to send any help and legitimize the war started by quote-unquote two malcontents, that being Daemon and the Sea Snake. And Allison is like, well, what about as a man who loves his brother? And he's like, oh, you've got a generous spirit with that. And but then she puts it again. What would be better for the realm? If the crab feeder thrives or if the crab feeder is vanquished? And I think the answer to that's obvious. And so the king does send aid to the stepstones, which Damon did not ask for. He was not happy about it. Um, and Viserys are seen talking again. And Rhaenyra is saying that what she wants clearly doesn't matter, and he clearly wants to remove her as heir and just marry her off. And he's like, why are you resisting every move and you're always angry? Everyone in this kind of position has to marry and secure their line by having children. And he talks about um, when he married Emma, and he wants her to be happy... And she asks him if he really thinks a man would do that, and he's like, a family would. And um, she points out to him that if this was really about, if marriage was, had been totally about the advantages, then he would have married Leanna, you know, the 12-year-old Leanna, instead of who he did marry. I mean, I I think you can tell he actually did like Alicent, and yes, Hightower is a pretty good alliance, but it's not as good an alliance as Valerion, so he was marrying for um, love, or at least what he preferred on some level. Yes, he admits that, yes, if he was marrying solely for advantage, it would have been Lana. Which, oh, that still creeps me out. And so he puts it to her, you gotta marry, you have to, but you can choose and make the match yourself. And he swears on the memory of Queen Emma that she's not gonna be supplanted. Um, 
at one point he thought about changing his mind, but he's not going to do this now. Meanwhile, back on the Stepstones, the Valerians are planning their next fight against the Crab Feeder. The supplies are dwindling. Crab Feeder's still holing up in his cave. And Daemon arrives, and just then a messenger comes with the message of the king sending aid, and Daemon reads it and flips out. He beats up the messenger who brought it. Yeah. And then heads out to meet the crab feeder with the flag of surrender and holding out his sword. And really, at first, I thought maybe he was actually going to throw that to just to um, mess with his brother. Daemon being chaotic like that. This was a faked surrender... And just at the last moment, he grabs up his sword again. He's fighting like crazy and dodging a very unrealistic number of arrows. You would think that some of them would have hit him. And Leonor arrives riding sea smoke. The gray-colored dragon. And sea smoke looks awesome. He's got a little bit of a scale beard under his chin, and yeah, he does. And he's making a lot of fire. He's not that gigantic a dragon compared to some others, and there was so much fire. I thought both dragons were involved. Yeah, no, it was just him, and he. So he fake surrenders, and then basically turns the table. And getting to see sea smoke was a nice surprise. It's actually hilarious that that worked because. It's all those years of it. And then he's like, oh, but then I got angry, right? And he goes into the crab feeder's cave and kills him off screen. Yeah, he brutally, like, cuts him in half, I guess. Yeah, he comes back out of the cave holding a third of the crab feeder. You'd think he'd be a little worried about getting grayscale, but... We don't even know. We don't even get to see it. The guy just, he was in it for an episode... To be fair, when I mentioned that, Sarah said that in the show, in the book, he gets like a page or something like that. Yeah, the crab feeder exists for a page. <laughs> yeah. So they drew him out a little more for, for the series. They gave him they gave him an episode. Basically. And I know there's lots of, of people who want crab feeder backstory and want to know about like how he's got armies willing to follow him. Well, he obviously has grayscale, which would normally make you. Shunned. He's probably smart enough to be a good tactician and give them maximum loot. They were pirates, so. So that's the end of the episode. I would have liked if the ending music had had a full rendition of that Under the Dragon's Eye song, maybe sung by Samuel the Bard. That would have been awesome. But alas, we just got regular ending music, none of that. Uh, maybe they'll be in a future edition or something. Hey, come on, do it like they did the Bear and the Maiden Fair and that uh, It's Always Summer Under the Sea. They, they, they might do it. They might, they might have it in the... Uh... I want the rest of the song. Yeah. So, that's it. Looking forward to... 
hopefully seeing Vagar in a future episode. I don't know when they're going to show her, but that's going to be awesome. Thank you for listening to Cast It Into The Fire podcast, and good night. Good night.